Now for Raising the Bar, Greater RVA's premier law talk radio show. Call into the show with your stories and questions at 804-454-1366. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Raising the Bar. I'm Michelle Wayne, and I'm a workers' comp attorney, and I am here today with Sean Cavanaugh, who's a Social Security Disability Lawyer. So, Sean, why don't you introduce yourself and tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Well, as you said, Michelle, my name's Sean Cavanaugh. I'm an attorney. The name of my law firm is Harbison and Cavanaugh. We're located in Mechanicsville, Virginia. And I've been representing people in Social Security Disability, SSI, children's cases, widows' cases for about 25 years, actually a little over 25 years. I think that. Uh, I estimate in that time I've probably done about 8,000 Social Security hearings, so it's kind of a, a high-volume practice, but that, that is our focus. Well, tell, tell us, our listeners a little bit about what a person needs to do to win a Social Security disability case. Well, first of all, you have to decide what type of claim you're going to be filing, and there's several different types of claims. There's Social Security disability insurance claims, and that's the most of us are familiar with, a person who's worked paid into the system, has enough of what we call quarters of coverage to qualify for that benefit. Um, And then there's supplemental security income. If you haven't worked, uh, you don't have quarters of coverage. You don't have insured status. The definition of those two programs for disability is the same, but you don't have to have insured status, but it's means tested. So, for instance, if you're married and your husband has a good income, even if you're disabled, you won't qualify for that benefit. Then there's, there's widow's benefits. If you're a widow of a, a person who died with insured status and you become disabled, and it's, it's quite limited, you have to become disabled between ages 50 and 60, and then the disability has to occur within seven years of, of the deceased, uh, of the death of the deceased. So those two, you have to be between 50 and 60 and disabled within seven years of the deceased. And then there's, there's uh, benefits for children. Supplemental security income benefits for children. The analysis is a little bit different in children's cases, but again, it's means tested. So if you're a family with a lot of income, even if you have a disabled child, that's not going to help you. It's, it's means tested. Um, but the main thing that you're going to need in a, in, a, in a successful Social Security disability case is medical evidence. Um, you know, you're going to have to have, and, and it's tough. I mean, it's, it's a catch-22 for some of my clients because they're disabled. They don't have health insurance. They can't afford medical treatment. And most of those cases, I mean, we'll, we'll send them to MCV or some of the local free clinics to at least get some treatment because you have to have treatment, you know, to, to, to qualify for the benefits. You have to have medical records. And then you want to get opinion evidence. Your doctors, even the most important thing with Social Security disability is having your doctors behind you. We're familiar, you know, in in, in workers' comp, we get opinion. The big difference between Social Security and other areas of law is what they accept as an opinion. And if you have your doctor saying, this person can't work, 100% disabled, totally disabled, things like that, which, as we know, in a workers' comp case, judges say, fine. Doctor says can't work means can't work. In a Social Security case, the judge will look at that and say, you know, Doc, what do you know about work? You're not an expert at at jobs. And when you say a person can't work, you're really overstepping your expertise. 
So the type of opinions and the forms that we use in disability case cases are meant to give what we call functional limitations. The doctor can tell us how long can that person walk? How long can that person stand? How much can they lift? Or on the mental side of things, focus and concentrate. Deal with work stresses. Demonstrate reliability. Those things are within the doctor's expertise. And when we go to the hearings, there's always a job expert there. And then we have to take that medical evidence, turn to the job expert and say, hey, hypothetical individual, my client's age, education, past relevant work experience, can he do any jobs with these limitations? The job expert says no. That doesn't necessarily mean you won the case, but it does put the judge in a position of having to say he doesn't believe you're treating physician um, on, on, a, on a subject to which he is an expert. And it's a little bit more difficult to do than just saying, um, I don't believe you. But, um, but medical evidence, filing the application, I mean, those are the primary thing. Okay. Well, in a workers' comp case, you're exactly right. With medical evidence, uh, it is pretty much what the doctor says goes. And so if the doctor says you can't work, you can't work. Um, now, with um, do you have many cases that are mixed workers' comp and Social Security disability? Certainly, we have a lot of cases that involve both, uh, both of those. Um, and I think it's good to have, you know, to, to be able to see both sides of the case because the, the interplay between workers' comp and Social Security, um, well, Social Security benefits are offset by workers' comp. So if you're receiving Social Security, it reduces your workers' comp. I mean, if you're receiving workers' comp, it reduces your Social Security benefits and a lot of time in the, in the settlement of those cases is, is meant to maximize what you can get from both benefits. But we certainly see a lot of overplay. And, you know, the workers' comp, obviously, when you have a workers' comp case, they're only concerned with the injury that happened on the job. But a lot of those people have other problems, too. And when we go to the Social Security side of it, you know, everything else that they have going on comes into play. And when one thing about Social Security, unlike every other area of law, is it, it doesn't really matter what caused your problems, you know, whether it's not, it doesn't have to be proven as a result of a car accident, a work-related accident, it is what it is. And how does that affect your ability to work is really the only analysis. Hmm. That's interesting. So this is what I tell a lot of my clients. Um, I tell my clients to wait to file for Social Security disability. And the reason I do that is... First of all, like you just said, is there's that offset. So if they're getting like, let's just say $1,000 a month in workers' comp and they're only going to get $1,200 a month in Social Security Disability, they would only get actually $200 from Social Security Disability. And then that, then their social, the whole amount of the check, the workers' comp and the Social Security is taxable. Um, and so I always tell people to... to to wait because of that problem and also the problem it causes with trying to settle their workers' comp case. But I sometimes get concerned if that's not the exact answer, if there's any other time limits or anything that I should be worried about um, with telling my clients to wait and not file for Social Security Disability while they're still on their workers' comp, um, getting their workers' comp benefit. Well, it, it's, it's tough to figure out. And sometimes the only way to do it is to have the person go down to the Social Security office and inquire, hey, here's my workers' comp benefit. If I get Social Security disability while I'm receiving 
$1,000 a month in workers' comp, how much will my Social Security check be? Because as we know, workers' compensation is 66% of the salary of the job you were injured on, whereas Social Security is more based upon your lifetime earnings. And there's multiple formulas, and you kind of get the best of, of, of the several formulas that they apply to determine your benefit amount. But because some people are injured on jobs that are relatively lower paying than they've normally worked most of their lives, you could have a situation or, or, or you know, the, you have a high wage earner in your workers' comp case and his, his benefits are limited by the state maximum. So you literally have situations where somebody's Social Security benefit could, could be completely wiped out by workers' comp or it might not be touched at all. And so they could miss out on a lot of money because you can only be paid up to 12 months behind the date of filing your application. Um, but on the other hand, if they go in and they find out, well, you're, you're going to get zero with this workers' comp benefit, well, as you said, they could, Social Security go, okay, we found you disabled, normally would pay you $30,000 in past due benefits because you're getting workers' comp. We're not sending you that 30000 but we will send you a tax bill for the 30000 we didn't send you. And, I mean, when we see situations like that, sometimes, you, you know, you're going to court in a disability hearing, and I could prove the person was disabled, say, in 2016, but we just changed the alleged onset date to closer to the present so that he doesn't get hit with that big tax bill. But at some point, you know, going to the second part of your question, you have to establish disability prior to the date last insured. You don't have, and, and the date last insured, when you're working and paying into the system, it's like you're paying on an insurance policy. When you stop working, at some point that policy expires. And for most people, if they've been working steadily all their lives and they're over 30 years old, that's going to be five years after they stop working, what we call 20 out of 40 quarters of coverage. <clears throat> um, and you have to prove disability prior to that date. And the further that date, you know, if you're, if you're trying to prove somebody who's disabled in 2012 and it's 2018, it just becomes more and more difficult. It becomes more difficult to get the medical evidence. Uh, the doctors who were treating at that time might not be around to give an opinion. Um, but it's not fatal. You don't have to file the application before your date last insured. You just have to prove disability prior to the date last insured. Some people get confused about that. But, you know, we see extreme cases over the years where we've got to go back 20, 30 years and if you can find the medical evidence, you can do it. Now, what does that mean? It means the person missed out on 30 years worth of benefits when we win that case because, again, they'll only get paid prior, 12 months prior to the date of the application. But as far as holding off, I mean, sometimes, obviously, it's the right move in, in, with, because it is difficult to settle workers' comp cases when your client's on Medicare, as we know. Another issue I, I find that we have problems with with workers' comp and with Social Security disability, I believe, is issues of returning to work. For workers' compensation, when you return to work, you, um, you know, let's just say of, of equal pay as what you were receiving under workers' compensation benefits, you, that, the, those benefits cut off, and then if that job doesn't work, you have to reapply, get the doctor to say you can't work, and it take it takes a while, but how does returning to but you can still get back on it? How does returning to work work in Social Security disability cases? Well, the or main, attempting to return to work. The the main thing you want to do is is document that you let them know when you're returning to work and that you are 
giving them your wages, that you're reporting your wages to them. And I really suggest, you know, going into the Social Security office with the documentation, getting it time stamped and locking out because, I mean, it comes up time and time again. What happens is somebody returns to work. They swear they've told Social Security all along the way. Social Security is very slow in reacting. You know, they don't do anything fast. Anybody who's been through the process knows that. But what happens is it takes some time to catch up, and all of a sudden my client's hit with an overpayment because Social Security took two years to figure out that they've been back to work for two years, even though my client swears they've reported it up and down, you know. So, but you can return to work. Social Security has provisions for a trial work period, and you can make, well, first of all, currently I think it's 10080 a month. I mean, that's considered substantial gainful activity. If you're making over 10080 a month, that goes on for a period of time. You're going to be found not disabled just by virtue of your earnings. Um, but if you're making below that, uh, it, it's not going to necessarily disqualify you for, because you're making too much, but it may prompt them, especially the closer you get to that number, to kind of take a look at what you're doing. But in any case, you have a trial work period where you, for nine months you can make over that. It doesn't matter. You still get your benefits. Once that nine months passes... Then for the next, for 36 months, you're in what's called the expedited period of eligibility. If you make over substantial gainful activity or 10,080 a month, you're not eligible that month. If you fall under that, you know, then you're eligible that month. Once you get beyond that 36-month period of, of eligibility, uh, expedited eligibility, then if you go over, that's it. Your disability ceases. Um, and you'd have to go back through the system, reapply, start over. So you'd really have several years then, technically, that you can attempt to be working. Well, I think nine months. I mean, once you get past okay. the nine-month trial work period, if you if you are in the substantial— Now, if you're making 500 a month, your benefits should continue, you know. But if you're making, if you're making 2,000 a month and you get, you're beyond the 36-month extended period of eligibility, your disability ceases— the first month you go SGA. You can, sometimes these cases get so close, but, but to, when we want to get that number below the 1080, you can subtract out impairment-related work expenses. That's usually doctor's visits and medications. Sometimes if, if a disability requires a person to pay extra for transportation, sometimes we can bring those numbers down a little bit, and some, sometimes that's a difference. But other than that, it will cease when you are in substantial gainful activity level after the 36 months. And it may cease before that. Yes. Well, let me ask you, let's change the subject a little bit. And let me ask you, what, what happens if um, someone is disabled, um, but they got paid under the table or got a lot of cash payments? Well, that <laughs> we certainly see that scenario quite a bit. And, you know, like I tell my cl clients when I, when I, uh, when I get that story, it's, well, it was great when you were getting away with it, but now's when the chickens come home to roost, uh, because you're not going to have insured status. You're not paying into the system. And, and so it, it's SSI only. And so you're back to that. Your maximum currently in Virginia is about $780 a month. And again, it's means tested. So if you're working under the table and you're used to making $2,000, because I've had this you know, question come up many times over the years, you're used to making two, $3,000 a month, or sometimes you see it with 
you know, like contractors who, you know, have good accountants, let's say, and they, at right. the end of the year, even though they gross 200000 their income's $5,000, uh, same situation. And they said, well, how am I supposed to live off seven eighty a month? I said, I don't know. How'd you live off a of zero? Because that's <laughs> what the government has given you credit for. So I suggest you pay your taxes. Now, with SSI, it, you, it's, it's an issue of being, dis, you still have to prove you're disabled. Correct. Disability is the same analysis for SSI, Social Security disability, widow's benefits. It's all the same. Well, then can you get um, Social Security disability if you are getting SSI? Uh, well, it, it, first of all, if, if there's a, if you're getting, well, it depends, but you can, SSI is a maximum of 780 a month. So let's say your social security benefits less than that. If it's 380 a month, 480 a month, then you could get an additional three or $400 up to the maximum SSI. If your social security disability benefit is eight or 900 a month, then you're not going to be eligible for any SSI because you're above the, the maximum as far as that goes. Do benefits vary as to how disabled somebody is? Uh, there's only one standard, and that is disabled, you know, because sometimes people ask me about partial disability or temporary disability, and those are not terms that Social Security employs. It is you are either disabled or not disabled. The disability has to last or be expected to last 12 months or more. Sometimes, so that being the case, I mean, people are... Bad car accident, couple of broken legs, arms. You know this person's out for six months at least. But the question is, where are they going to be on the 12-month anniversary of that accident? And are they going to be precluded from performing any jobs which exist in significant numbers in the national economy? Well, that's the standard. Right. Well, I get that question a lot, too, about partial disability under workers' comp. But in workers' comp, there's that term isn't... Um, I get that question, but that term is not a useful term in workers' comp either. It's either you can do your pre-injury job or you can't do your pre-injury job. Um, and then if you can't do your pre-injury job, then they can find you a job within the job market that the doctor says you're physically able to do. Right. So it's it's either you're on workers' comp or, or they've found you other employment, but it's not a well, a, a situation where you are partially disabled and, and you get funds. You, you do get funds for uh, or benefits for what's called permanent partial disability benefits for loss of range of motion, but that's a different thing than the term partial, um, partial right. disability. Right, which, which kind of brings up a good point uh, where, you know, the, the, you can get a conflict what Social Security expects you to do in terms of returning to other types of work and what workers' comp expects you to do in terms of doing other types of work. And there could be a conflict where you, you, can't, you, you can't satisfy both of them, which usually leads to a settlement. What do I mean by that? Well, Social Security, as you get older, ages 50, 55, and then ultimately 60, it becomes easier to prove disability. The example I always use, typical Philip Morris worker, on his feet all day, hard work, no skills that transfer to particularly to desk work. I was at 49, I got to prove he can't check ID cards at the YMCA, which is unskilled. 
You can sit anytime you want, no lifting, caring. It's as easy mentally and physically as it gets, and it pays maybe minimum wage. I got to prove you can't do that job when you're 49. Once that person hits 50, Social Security says disabled. They don't expect them to make that transition. 55 and ultimately 60, the breaks become even more. But as we know in workers' comp, the guy's 55 years old and he can work as a parking lot attendant. Commission's going to, and he gets a job offered as a parking lot. If he doesn't do it, he's going to be cut off of his workers' comp. But if he takes that job and he does it for a while, even though he's considered disabled, now it becomes part of his past relevant work under the social security analysis. And now I got to prove he can't do that. Whereas before, when he was just a Philip Morris worker, I had to prove he couldn't do that. So that, that usually, again, you get in that situation and that's where you ultimately go, it's probably time to settle the workers' comp case. Before or forcing him to take that job and then it'll hurt his dis- chances to get disability. Correct. correct. I mean, again, unless he wants to take the job, but it would... It would um, uh, there's a Tom on the line with a Social Security question. Um, Tom, what's your question? Yeah, I've uh, worked my whole life in construction, and I had back surgery. And my doctor doesn't think I'll be able to do construction anymore. Can I get disability? Tom, how old are you? 57. Um, how long did you do construction work? Did you say all your life? Yeah, about, uh, about 35 years. Okay. Well, when did you have your, how long ago was your back surgery? I had it uh, three years ago. Okay. Well, it depends on what your capability is. Not being able to do your past relevant work, you know, the Social Security Disability case is a a series of five questions, and questions four and five are, can you do your past relevant work? So you can't do that. I'm going to assume we're, we're past that point. You're 57. You've had back surgery. So in your case, it comes down to, can you do what Social Security calls light work? Light work is, well, if you're limited to light work, technically they would have to find you capable of medium work. Medium work means you're on your feet most of the day, lifting up to 50 pounds frequently, 50 pounds occasionally, 25 pounds frequently. Um, Because again, as we're talking, as you get older, it's easier to prove disability. But if you're limited to light work, and light work is you're limited to 20 pounds of lifting, and on your feet, again, most of the day, if, if, if you can't do any better than that, I would say you have a good, that, that's an excellent profile for disability, 57, construction worker, you should call my office later today, I'd be happy to help you with that case and, you know, get started on it. We can even, we'll help you with the application, you can come into the office, we'll sit down and do it with you, uh, no problem. Well, that's right, thank great. Thank you, that sounds good. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Also, if anyone wants to call in for a question, the number is uh, 804-454-1366. That number is 804-454-1366. This is Raising the Bar, Law Talk Radio Show. Give us a call, 804-454-1366. We'll be back after the break. You've been listening to Raising the Bar, Greater Richmond's premier law talk radio show. 
Call into the show with your stories and questions at 804-454-1366. Now back to Raising the Bar. Call into the show with your stories and questions at 804-454-1366. Welcome back. This is Michelle LeWayne and Sean Cavanaugh. And if you have any questions for Raising the Bar, our talk show today, the phone number is 804-454-1366. And we have Danielle on the phone. Danielle? Yes, I'm here. Hi. Do you have a question for us? I do. I have a disability hearing scheduled, and I need to know, is it too late to get a lawyer? Do I even need a lawyer? Um, well, it, it's, it's not too late to get a lawyer. And, and a lot of times, Danielle, when people contact us that close to a hearing, sometimes it requires a continuance because what we find is that the Social Security Administration will probably only have your medical records up until the last time they denied the claim, which is typically going to be well over a year uh, that you wait for that hearing. Um, but it's never too late. The time that it's too late to get a lawyer in a Social Security hearing is after the judge makes his decision because really that's, that's where the cases are won and lost. It's very difficult to win at the initial two stages, uh, and it's very difficult to win after that hearing. Um, but it's never too late, and I, the way that we charge in a Social I think it's one of the most reasonable attorney fees uh, that you will find the way that we charge, we have to win your case. The maximum fee, it's 25% of the past due benefits, what the government owes you, uh, but it cannot exceed $6,000. So it's, it, it, when you compare that to perhaps you know, 20, 30 years worth of benefits, I think it's a pretty reasonable fee. So, I mean, certainly people go in there without lawyers and are successful, but I think your chances would be a lot better, and I, I would suggest that. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Um, there's another person on the line named Ed. Ed, what's, what's your question for us today? Uh, good morning. Uh, my name is Ed, and uh, I have a tinnitus and a uh, hard of hearing. And uh, my hearing loss is about 40% uh, and 45% uh, with both ears. I'm on Social Security, but I was wondering, could I get on disability Social Security? How old are you, Ed? 79. No, your retirement age at this point, you know, if, if you're on disability, if you're on disability, you, you automatically at 67, when you reach your maximum retirement age, you automatically switch over to retirement benefits. And you, you would hardly even notice anything. But at 79, if, you were, if you're below 67, I'd say, yeah, we could take a shot at it. But being at that age, there's, you're just basically on retirement for the rest of your life. All right. All right. Thanks Good luck. So yeah. Thank you. Bye. Uh, I, I I have a question for you. What about uh, when do you get Medicare or Medicaid when you're on Social Security disability? Um, well, Medicaid typically comes with supplemental security income, the means tested benefit. Uh, Medicare, when you get what we call Title 16, Social Security disability insurance, widows benefits. 
you get Medicare, and this is the odd part, you get Medicare two years after the date you're first eligible for payment. So if somebody proves they're disabled, let's say January 1st, 2016, well, first, with Social Security Disability, you have a five-month waiting period. They don't pay you for the first five full months of disability. So then, and then two years after that. So essentially, it's two and a half years after you're found disabled. And I have been doing this like for over 25 years. I've never understood that. They find somebody disabled, but they don't give them health insurance for two and a half years after the date that they're found disabled. Wow. That is shocking. Yeah. Um, now there's another uh, lady on the phone named Rebecca. What What is your question? I wanted to know that if I file for disability, how long can I expect for it to take? Well, it, it, you can expect it generally to take a long time. Now, you know, typically what happens, you apply uh, the first decision, maybe six to nine months. Now, cases are one at that level, and we do see that. Um, but it has to be a very strong case. And we have, the only thing we can do at the initial level is make sure that all the medical records are in and that we have perhaps some opinion evidence in, but it's very difficult to win at those levels. And when they send you the decisions, they're more or less form letters. We don't really understand how they reach their conclusions, but if it goes all the way to a hearing before a judge, which is the third stage, you have the initial application, denial, reconsideration, denial, request a hearing, and, and the hearings are held um, at a place called ODAR, Office of Disability Adjudication and Review. And, and actually, if you go online, Social Security maintains a, a, a website that tells you the average wait time for every ODAR around the country. There's one in Charlottesville, there's one in Richmond, Norfolk, Washington, D.C. And the last time I looked, Richmond was one running 18 months. So you're talking about two and a half years if it goes the distance. And that varies. Wow. That's an average, but it is, it is, you know, I always tell my clients, you work as long as you can because A, there's no guarantees and B, it's going to be a tough road. I mean, the, the, the problems, I mean, that's the biggest, one of the biggest problems we see is two and a half years of no income. It's financially devastating, almost without exception, almost without exception. So um, good luck, Rebecca, you know, would be happy to help you with that. Or if you need any advice, call my office. But uh, it is not easy. There is no smooth transition from disability, from, from working to disability, generally speaking. Yes, that, I get the same thing with uh, workers' comp is if a case is denied and it take, it, it, luckily it takes more like four months, five months to get a hearing. Um, but even that with no income is financially devastating. So two and a half years would be would be triple that. Well, and again, and even even with workers' comp, it gets worse because, as we know, yes, the employers. It's easy to appeal to squeeze your client, exactly. you know, for even another four, five, or six months, even though they don't have any chance of winning the appeal. That's true. That's true. Well, what what happens if somebody is um, if they do lose at that hearing? Can they can at a Social Security disability hearing? Do they appeal that, or how does that work? Well, I mean, it's kind of, you have to. It used to be you could do both, you know. And I actually, during the twenty five years I practiced, you it was originally when I started, you could, had to make one or the other. You can't do both. Then for about ten years, you were able to do both. Now, in the past five or six years, it's changed back. You can either file an appeal or you can file a new application. 
Um, and there's a lot of things that go into that. Question number one, do you think you can win the appeal? Because that appeal at the appeals council, which is above the judge, that's a, that's a year and a half often. And it's very, very difficult to get any kind of relief from the appeals council. Um, but, but you have also, though, but if you have a person who has a date last insured, let's say I get a decision today and the date last insured is 2016. Well, the only option there is appeal because if you lose that case and that becomes a final decision, you can't file an app. You can't relitigate that same case. Because we know that the legal right. term is called raised judicata. It means the issue's already been decided. Um, but on the other hand, if you have somebody who's, you got a, a decision today and the date last insured is 2020, you can file a new application. You can take another shot at it. And over the years, I mean, how, I could tell you how many cases we've won the second time around. But you, it really you have to decide. It, it, it's based upon on an individual case-by-case basis. Date last insured has a lot to do with it. Um, but, but it is, it can be, but just filing the appeal for sake and sake of filing the appeal. I mean, that's a year and a half that you could have that new application moving towards a new hearing in front of a different judge. If you went on appeal, generally all you get is they send it back to the same judge who denied you before and say, Hey, you made some mistakes. They have some instructions. Does that mean that judge is going to reach a different conclusion? You know, the other thing you can look up with these judges, you can look up their pay rate. You can go online, uh, ALJ disposition data, and it will tell you how many cases your judge has heard, how many he's paid. And if you've got a guy who's paying 20% and he denies your case and you appeal, it's going to come back to him a year and a half later. And he's probably going to, you know, that, that, again, I mean, it's, it's a practical decision, but you have to consider it when you're deciding whether or not to file an appeal or, or file a new application. All that time and delay makes that two and a half years even longer. Um, so what about if someone um, has drug or alcohol issues? Can they get Social Security Disability for that? Materiality of substance abuse is what we consider on that. Well, when I first started doing this years ago, you, know, it, you could actually use substance abuse to prove people were disabled. Um, I would be literally you're cross-examining your own clients trying to prove that they can't stop drinking. They can't stop doing cocaine. They can't stop doing heroin um, and are disabled because of their inability to control that. Now, that changed overnight in about 1996. And when I say overnight, you know, these decisions, you know, you get about uh, maybe two, three months after the hearing. You know, you don't know when right. you go. You wait in the mail. And that law changed so quick that I went to some hearings arguing that my client was an alcoholic or, or a drug addict. And the law changed before the decision came out. And then they rescheduled supplementary hearings. And I had to go back and put a different spin on the case. What did I say? It was drugs or alcohol. It's his back, you know. Now, the, presently the analysis is if the, if the drugs or alcohol got you there, that's not necessarily fatal. In other words, or, or cigarette smoking, for instance, uh, it, it, the drugs, liver disease, um, brain damage. If it's irreversible, it doesn't matter if the person continues the substance abuse. They still can't work. Or if you have the Philip Morris guy who's had two knee replacements, he can't be on his feet all day. It doesn't matter if he drinks 
a case of beer a day, he's not going to be able to stand and walk and do the things that he needs to do. There, it's not material. On the other hand, if you're claiming disability due to mental disorders or depression or anxiety, and you're continuing to abuse alcohol against your doctor's advice or drugs, then it becomes material. It's contributing to the disability, and it can be denied for that reason. I just point out something that I thought about recently, and I find it kind of ironic that, you know, the federal government's talking about giving billions of dollars or earmarking billions of dollars for opioid uh, rehabilitation right now. But at the same time, you know, my clients who have these problems, they're getting denied, you know, and it's kind of, I don't know where the disconnect came. I think when they changed the law back in 96, quite frankly, I think it was a, a knee-jerk response, response by the legislature to a 60 Minutes episode where, you know, a bunch of guys were turning over their Social Security checks to their bartender, you know, and that just overnight they switched that. But it is, you know, it is a, a, a conflict in the government right now where they want to help in one sense, but not in, the, in, in with my clients. Well, you're listening to Raising the Bar. And uh, if you have a question, please call in at 804-454-1366. Um, t- what you were talking about quarters before, what, tell me what quarters of coverage actually means. Quarters of coverage is when you're working and paying into the system, you're paying taxes on income. And I brought the chart in this morning, for instance, okay, in 2018, in order to get a quarter of coverage, you have to earn $1,970. And and you can get up to four, obviously four quarters in a year. Now that doesn't mean you have to make 1970 in each individual quarter. If you made $10,000 in the first quarter of the year, you'd have four quarters of coverage. And so the rule is you have to have 20 out of 40 quarters of coverage preceding the onset of disability. Um, so, or five out of 10 years, you know, but sometimes it's kind of more broken up. People are in, out, in, out. Um, but, but, um, that's, you know, that's the basic rule on quarters of coverage. And again, that's why it's important. And if you're going to work under the table, you know, you at least declare a minimum amount above that. Um, there is, uh, Frank on the phone. How can we help you today? Well, I'm one of these people who have, always believed in trying to overcome and, and accomplish and and not having to to do file for disability. Unfortunately, a few years ago, I had a uh, situation where the retinas detached in both of my eyes. And I, prior to that, had 20-20 vision and, uh, and, and barely needed reading glasses in, in, in my early 50s. But since then, um, I am, for all intents and purposes, legally blind in one eye, and the other eye functions fairly well most days, but not every day, and in certain light circumstances will cause it to be bad for hours. I've lost my CDL, I've lost uh, some other licenses and so forth I had because I can't pass physical. Uh, it has caused me to have to sit out half a day sometimes because I just can't see the drive. I'm afraid if I raise too many flags, I'll lose my driver's license and everything else. But the other side of that is 
it's gotten to a point where I'm afraid in a year or two or whatever, I may lose my license anyway and not be able to drive. So I'm wondering, is it worth it for me to try to file for, for a disability or am I just, you know, going against everything I believe in? Are you still working, Frank? I am. Um, well, I, I'm working for, my, I work for myself. Okay. Well, I, I, again, my advice is, and you, you alluded to that, this at the beginning, always keep working as long as you can. But, you know, depending on how often this vision thing affects you, uh, what's, what's causing the condition, by the way? Well, they had to do a total of about, I think it was nine surgeries. Uh, some of the surgeries were just to go in and take a bubble out that they put in. Uh, they had trouble getting the the, uh, the retinas to stay attached. Both retinas. So I ended up, yeah, both, okay. both retinas. Okay. So I ended up with bands around right. both my eyeballs and so forth. And like I say, the right eye, the right eye is uh, it is it's like looking through a glass of cloudy water at, on a good day. And how old are you? I'm 56. Okay. So again, 56. That's a good profile. It depends on how often the vision interferes with your ability to work. You say a half a day. When we go to these hearings, there's always a job expert, a vocational expert. And virtually every one of these hearings, especially the past five to ten years, this has become the vogue. I've seen kind of different things over the years. But nowadays, they will all testify that if you are unable to work two days, well, more than one, you know, two days a month, no jobs that you can do— or if because of your disabilities, you're off task at work more than 15% of the time. But so it depends. If, you ha- if, if, if it affects you for a half day once a month, probably not. If it's a half day once a week, that would probably preclude competitive employment. You have to think how often, and, and again, it kind of comes down to the work that you do. Now, as far as driving goes, and this is what I always tell my clients getting ready for a hearing, there's several things that you never say in a social security hearing. We got to prove you're disabled because of your medical condition, and we got to prove you can't do jobs perhaps other than what you've done, but you never say, I can't drive or I, or I, I don't have transportation because they don't care how you get to and from the job. You know, if you can work, there are people who can't drive, for instance, because they have seizure disorders, but they can work every day. Um, because, you know, they're, but, they, but they're just unsafe to drive. So you never want to fall back on it. It's really how long, how often does that condition keep you from being able to perform work and assume that the job is across the street. But so the answer is, tell me how often does that, does it affect you where you can't use that eye for half a day? I will go for a period of two or three weeks and it won't happen at all. And then I will go for a period of two or three weeks where it happens every day. Well, I mean, and, and I, I fake it. I, I, for lack of a better way to say it, it my, my friends and family, people around me have no idea how well I fake it. Um, but there are times when I have to pull out a magnifying glass that looks like they took a coup to read something that. I could read just fine an hour earlier, and then the condition will go, you know, go away after a while. But it's, and we can't figure out exactly what's triggering it. And, and of course, I've lost, like I said, lost most of my income because of not being able to do what I was doing, and and uh, I, I, you know, lost my CDL and some other things too. So I'm what? just trying to figure out what direction to go. 
Well, I, I suspect if you weren't self-employed, you, you wouldn't be able to maintain what we call competitive employment. Nobody would put up with every, every two or three weeks, you're, you're not able to work uh, for several days, it sounds like. Um, you know, proving it, I mean, it depends. Support from the doctor, of course, is a big thing. We have questionnaires for virtually, you know, every disability, and we certainly have visual disturbance questionnaires. We ask them what percentages of time can the individual, how often will he be unable to work, and, and those type of things. So, you know, based upon what you're saying, I, I would think that competitive employment would be out. It's only because you're self-employed. And how much, I mean, if you don't mind my asking, kind of what's your yearly income at this point? Uh, well, I, I'm somewhere in the 30,000 range. Okay. So I was well over, I was, I wasn't in well over a hundred thousand. Right. Well, you, you just, well, you're still well over substantial gainful activity and, you know, uh, social security in terms of that. Yeah. They, well, they don't care if you go from brain surgeon to flipping burgers at McDonald's to some extent. So, uh, but, but again, it sounds to me like only because you're, you're, self-employed because no employer would put up with somebody being out of work that much. So it, it pretty much is because I'm self-employed that I've been able to do what I've been able to do. That, that right. is correct. So my advice, keep doing it as long as you can. And when you can't do it anymore, be happy to help you. Gotcha. Thank you. You're welcome. If you have, we have about five more minutes. So if you have a call, a uh, question, you need to call in now. The number is 804 454 one three six six. This is raising the bar. Um, while we wait, if for another caller to call in, can you tell us? I was listening to you about the voc rehab and uh, at the hearing. What what is a hearing like when you when you go to a Social Security disability hearing? Social Security like, disability hearings are are private. First of all, I mean, most people's idea of going into court is like traffic court, and everybody sees their case. They they're covered by the Federal Privacy Act. Um, it's just people who are involved in the hearing. It's usually me, my client, the judge, a person who records the hearing, and a job expert. There's no lawyer on the other side. The government used to send lawyers the Supreme Court said years ago before I even started doing it. This is not the government versus this person. So they, they made it non-adversarial so there's nobody showing up. Um, and, and they're informal. It's not like the, the, the formal rules of evidence apply. I mean, my client is sworn in. But that's about it. And most of the judges are... Very nice, you know. Even the ones who don't pay much are still very cordial, um, so they're they're not too bad. Do you get to pick your judge? Uh, you don't get to pick your judge. You are assigned a judge. There's yeah, no. And I've seen people try and avoid judges or what we call forum shop, but uh, I wouldn't recommend it. It definitely doesn't work out. There is uh, Keith on the phone. Um, how can we help you today? Well, I've been on Social Security Disability since 94, and um, it, it, they gave it to me as a multiple disability, um, blind left eye, um, drug abuse prison, and um, I'm getting ready to turn 65. I was just wondering if I'll, I'll remain on Social Security Disability, and my payment's about 760 a month. Is that about right for Virginia? Well, it sounds like you're getting SSI, correct? SSI, yeah. yeah. I, get SSI, I get two checks. Um, First and third. Yeah, that'll continue. You that that will continue the rest of your life unless you go back to work. You'll be fine. Yeah, I'm, I'm not worried about losing. I was just wondering if I was getting what I'm supposed to be. Getting. Um, yeah, I mean that sounds right about it where you should be. Correct. All right. 
I hear all these crazy commercials and on the internet that you can get this and that. Um, you know, if you're on social security disability, you're missing this and you're missing that. But I've never heard anything um, legitimately. No, yeah, I mean, especially since '94. I mean, your situation's pretty much set in stone at this point. Yeah, I haven't even had a review in eight years. Yeah, well, at your age, I doubt they're going to be reviewing you. <laughs> anyway, thank you. You're welcome, Keith. We have time maybe for one more phone call. The number is 804-454-1366. Let me just say a little bit about filing applications, just so people understand. And the same things that I tell people going into hearings, I think that they should keep in mind when they're filing their applications. Uh, Number one, do not exaggerate your work skills. Um, You know, and, and people are used to looking for jobs all their lives. When somebody asks them what they did, Pride, you know, used to, it's not, you don't want to do like a resume where you're perhaps claiming skills that you don't even have. And the harder that, you know, it's kind of counterintuitive, but people think, well, the harder my job was, the better it is for my case. When in fact, more often the opposite is just the case. Because if you were doing a really hard job, but I got to prove you can't do a really easy job, there's a lot of, you know, there's a big gap between the hard job and the, if a guy's, a bricklayer all his life, and then all of a sudden he stops working. Well, the next day, does that mean he can't check ID cards at the YMCA? And then the things that I always say that you never say in a Social Security hearing, and again, you don't want any of these things to leak into your Social Security application. Number one bad answer, nobody will hire me. Once they find out this or that, nobody wants to hire me. Well, that's not saying you can't do the job. It's not a discrimination case. It's not an unemployment case. The answer is, I can't do the job. Not nobody will hire me. Or similarly, I've never done that before because we're talking about, you know, unskilled work. You could learn how to check ID cards at the YMCA in five minutes. So to respond to that, well, I've never done that before. Well, that's not, again, tell me why you can't do it. Um, and, And similarly, I can't drive. I don't have transportation. None of those jobs where I live, that wouldn't pay enough. I got to take care of my mother, brother, father, sister, dog, uncle, cat. You know, all bad answers. You know, you're going in there to prove I can't do the jobs I used to do and I can't do anything else. And when we say anything else, eight hours a day, five days a week. Well, that's been great. It's been wonderful having you here today. And um, if you'd like to uh, talk about your social security disability case with Sean. Can you give us th- your contact information? Uh, Harbison and Cavanaugh. We're in Mechanicsville. Our phone number is 804-888-8000. All right. Well, great. And thank you for listening to Raising the Bar.